Section 20 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Criminal Investigation, a Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers, and Lawyers, Volume 1, by Hans Gross, translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Examination of Witnesses and Accused Continued The very technique of the examination demands a knowledge and understanding of the man with whom we have to do. If the previous history of the accused has been registered only at the end of the record to which he has been a party, we need not expect any good to come of the whole inquiry, for the investigating officer has not taken the trouble to study the accused before setting to work, and if he has not done so, he must have omitted many points absolutely necessary. But if we find the antecedents of the accused carefully registered at the beginning of the record, the whole inquiry will be conducted at least carefully and intelligently. In thus setting out his antecedents with accuracy, we can learn above all what sort of man is before us, we can hark back to events of long ago and establish, with the help of questions, many things which, if not strictly relevant to the matter in hand, often enable us to form an accurate estimate of the character of the accused. As a general rule, the accused here speaks the truth, at least to a great extent, and if he does not do so, we can learn thereby to recognize his usual style of lying in addition we can quickly pick out the lies we take notes and establish certain periods then we make him go over the story again a little later and then note the impossibilities the contradictions the gaps also we can often pick up from the old records antecedents incidentally mentioned by the accused and compare them with his story if we recall them to the accused at the same time letting him see that we are not going to allow ourselves to be imposed upon, he may not unfrequently be led to renounce his intention of lying about the matter in hand, and penitently admit his guilt, when the affair under inquiry is imperceptibly introduced. It is a good plan not to draw too accurate a line between the antecedents and the examination strictly so called, but rather, proceeding in chronological order, to arrive gradually at the moment at which the crime has been committed, in the hope that he will begin himself to speak about it. We do not assert that in this way a confession should be dragged out of the accused. That would be both dishonest and useless. What we say is that nothing is gained by making his confession a painful task to him. We are convinced that in rendering his avowal easy, we are acting in his best interests, for it is always to his interest to confess. His actions appear in less sombre colours, he is sure of a less severe punishment, and the disburdening of his conscience is a blessing to the most hardened criminal. It is merciless, or rather psychologically wrong, to expect any one boldly and directly to confess his crime, perhaps an abominable offence, persons with an extensive acquaintance with men of the lowest character know only too well what repugnance they feel in employing the correct expression, even after a complete avowal. Persons of a somewhat higher moral grade often shrink from using the word steal, 
while the number of paraphrastic expressions employed to avoid uttering the simple word kill is extraordinary now if it is repugnant to such people to pronounce a single characteristic word it must be much more painful for them to make without ceremony a confession of their misdeeds in a connected recital we must smooth their way render their task easy often also we must seize the exact moment when confession is easiest to the guilty man we must often have abundance of patience we must advance slowly step by step we must make troublesome investigations if the guilt is only partially admitted to or if from a number of facts the accused recognizes only some we must often in such a case make very accurate distinctions frequently an accused admits only up to a certain point that is to say as far as he can go without compromising an accomplice or again up to the time when his conduct becomes criminal or perhaps when a less serious crime may be transformed into one carrying a heavier punishment as for example theft in a dwelling-house into housebreaking and theft there often exists even among the vilest specimens of humanity a certain standard of honor which it is most important the investigating officer should appreciate at its true value frequently the attempts of the accused to prevent his crime appearing worse than it really is are very like an attempt to deny everything that can possibly be denied we cannot hardly without exception be absolutely certain as to what is true and what is not true unless in the course of our examination we come to know the character of the accused sufficiently well to enable us to judge what line he is most likely to take to sum up we must never shrink from any trouble which will help us to know the accused his history and the necessary details of the matter in hand for nothing will so entirely and so definitely sweep away any ascendancy we may have acquired over him as to betray ignorance of details even the most insignificant if the accused notes any gap any mistake any piece of ignorance on the part of the investigating officer he at once entrenches himself behind it and all the labor all the sagacity of the officer are powerless to make him abandon his asylum with regard to an important point in connection with confessions referred to in the author's criminal psychology we can only mention here that false confessions are very often made through insanity such cases are very dangerous for the insanity is sometimes quite unnoticeable the confessing person appearing perfectly normal to the non-professional in several cases of poisoning by gas and mushrooms very strange false confessions have been made and the investigating officer cannot be too careful we may here add a few words on the question of physiognomy there are few sciences the value of which has been more exaggerated by its partisans and more unjustly depreciated by its adversaries the balance seems to incline in favor of those who attribute to it considerable value certainly it is going too far to fix certain types of the human face and to pretend that one can deduce from certain features structures colors and their relations with one another definite mental and moral characteristics but it is beyond doubt that the experienced critic can learn from the lines of the face and play of the features much more and more satisfactorily than any one could tell him 
we cannot of course give here a precis of physiognomy but we know enough to enable us to recommend strongly to an investigating officer the study of the subject both theoretically and practically we certainly do not pretend that he should take in his hands the antiquated lavater and pin his faith to him but whoever studies attentively the works of modern writers on this subject as mantegaza and bear will find that even to-day we can learn much from the founder of the science it is not easy always to say when he is deceived and when he is right he is deceived as we have just said when he exaggerates the value of typical characters he is instructive when he teaches us how to read the general character of a physiognomy it was his fate for instance to mistake for a portrait of herder a portrait he had long looked for that of a murderer executed in hanover and to read in the features all the qualities he had supposed to exist in herder but again he is invaluable when he says for example quote, I chiefly recognize the true sage and the truly honest man by the mode in which they listen. They have a certain brightness in the eye, a clearness of vision, in which serenity and liveliness appear to unite, something intermediate between the lightning flash and the extinguished glimmer of a dying eye. End quote. No one can even today give an investigating officer a more precise lesson. To observe how the person questioned listens, is a rule of primary importance, and if the officer observes it, he will arrive at his goal more quickly than by hours of examination. Undoubtedly, the features must not be wholly neglected. Rubes is quite correct when he says, quote, Suppose that one of your intimate friends covers his face so as to conceal the forehead, the chin, and half the cheeks. The eyes, the nose, and the upper lip are alone visible and yet you will recognize him at once. But if he puts on a mask which covers the half of his forehead and the small space between the eyes and the upper part of the nose, you will no longer recognize him." These rules, and a hundred others of great value, the investigating officer cannot discover for himself, however hard he tries, even in the course of a long experience he must seek them in books where they are laid down scientifically. Then in his practice he can extend and perfect his knowledge, and the time devoted to his preliminary studies will certainly not be thrown away. It is impossible to leave this question of the treatment of an accused person by the investigating officer without saying a word as to what is called the school of Lombroso. Indeed, the works of Lombroso, and in particular, L'Homme Criminel, Le Criminel Politique et la Révolution, L'Homme des Génies, Génie et Folie, La Criminelle et la Prostituée, are to be found today in the hands of all criminal experts, and have exercised on all of them some, at times great, influence. The high authority wielded by Lombroso is due not only to the abundance of the materials provided by him, to the number of new ideas and the captivating audacity of his reasoning, it is due also to the fact that his theory is in absolute accord with the nihilistic tendency which today penetrates everywhere. This modern tendency to bring everything to the same level consists in the negation of distinctive characteristics and just as the social ideas preach equality, 
so the natural sciences profess that all living beings have the same origin physical science propounds the identity of forces and medical science affirms the impotency of a thousand remedies once deemed to be infallible why then should we be surprised if this nihilist tendency penetrating into our science has created this doctrine there is no difference in nature between the criminal and the honest man the former is only a hereditary degenerate gifted with a morbid constitution and if we do not go on to draw the logical conclusion there is no difference between good and bad it is only because we do not dare if lombroso did not exist there would be a gap in the logical evolution of modern ideas let us examine a little the basis of this new doctrine one of the german authors who knows it best summarizes it thus according to this doctrine all true criminals possess a continuous series of the nature of cause and effect of physical characteristics the existence of which is proved by anthropology and of moral characteristics the existence of which can be proved by psychophysiology these characteristics constitute of criminals a particular variety an anthropological type of the human race and those who possess them are criminals by the stern degree of fate even if they are never found out and that too independently of all social and individual conditions such a man is born to be a criminal he is as lombroso puts it delinquente nato the genuine original sinner this hypothesis does not pretend to deny that acquired qualities or social influences education habit temptation poverty will not occasionally make a man a criminal on the contrary the theory may be developed to recognize the existence of criminals by passion by chance or by habit but it seeks to explain the existence of criminals by nature by an innate disposition the indications of this disposition are certain physical peculiarities not the result of bodily disease and its elements are certain fundamental qualities of character and morality clearly distinct from the symptoms of mental disease and the knowledge of which enables the psychologist to declare that those possessing them cannot help becoming criminals now the school of lombroso sets itself to discover and establish the anatomical variations to be found in criminals their primary characteristics variations in rudimentary organs variations in secondary sexual characteristics variations in multiple organs variations resulting from a stoppage or diversion in development and finally acquired characteristics it cannot be denied that the school has succeeded in proving the existence of these anatomical variations in a certain number of criminals but it has been impossible to push the demonstration far enough to establish a determinate type of criminal this has been proved by dr kiern in a most convincing manner in a brief brochure he shows that truly enough one can in examining carefully a certain number of convicts discover some mental anomalies and various marks of degeneracy but these never appear in identically the same fashion and far from being typical appear in the greatest diversity setting all rules at defiance further one frequently finds one symptom of intellectual weakness 
but very rarely in combination all the symptoms characteristic of moral insanity thus there being no correspondence in individuals taken one by one there can be no question of a criminal type the theory of lombroso has been completely demolished by dr nake in his dissertation on the methodology of a scientific anthropology in which he comes to the conclusion that the works of lombroso quote, with their arbitrary processes their exaggerations and premature conclusions in no way answer to what one has a right to expect in a scientific work end quote the truth is quote, there is neither criminal born nor type of criminal end quote. the chief dogma of the positive school is thus destroyed but we may pause to ask whence has it drawn the materials necessary to these seductive conclusions it has noted and utilized the statistics furnished by prisons and here it cannot be denied that the numbers cited and furnishing such and such percentages are here and there pretty high but only here and there often the percentage is so low that no conclusion can be drawn from it for whenever the percentage is very low we are always liable to find that chance has had something to do with the calculation of the statistics further it is frequently overlooked that the percentage obtained for a particular criminal anomaly must be compared with the corresponding percentage among non-criminals ordinarily this comparison is impossible for one can carry on investigations only upon criminals confined in jails occasionally on certain points we may make inquiries among men but not among women so that no one can say in what proportion any particular anomaly is met with among others than convicts the enquiries undertaken in schools barracks and hospitals and the notes made at post-mortem examinations can furnish but approximate information for it cannot be imagined that a definite and representative section of the whole human race is here dealt with but if it cannot be asserted that a certain anomaly is met with in a well-established percentage of the whole race then the percentage found for criminals is of very doubtful scientific value however accurate the inquiry may have been suppose for example it has been established that a certain anomaly is found among ten percent of all criminals that is of no value unless it can be shown that a different percentage prevails among non-criminals but if it is pretended that this anomaly is found among only five per cent of non-criminals because that proportion has been found to exist in schools barracks and hospitals it is only an approximate supposition for no one knows in what proportion the anomaly might be met with among that other section and far the larger section of men who are outside schools barracks and hospitals besides the materials at disposal in each of these inquiries are special and do not represent the bulk at school we find youth in the barracks picked men from a physical point of view in the hospital the poorest portion of the populace but approximate suppositions are not scientific proofs in truth the weak point of the conclusions derived from statistics by lombroso and his followers arises from the theoretically false way in which he builds up his figures whereby the whole basis of his system crumbles away admit what lombroso says the anomaly a is found among x per cent of the convicts in all the prisons of the world 
the anomaly b in y percent the anomaly c in z percent and so on then to conclude that these anomalies will be found in the indicated proportions among all the criminals of the world is false we could only draw this conclusion if we could divide all the inhabitants of the world into two camps criminals and non-criminals sheep and goats if then we could examine all the people in the two camps establish the percentages of anomaly and compare the results we should be safe but here the materials are not only uncertain but inaccurate lombroso has examined convicts in prison that his materials may be complete he must examine all who have been previously in jail all who commit crimes without being caught and all who would naturally become criminals if favorable circumstances had not by chance snatched them from a criminal career for example those who would have been thieves if they had not been well off or poachers if they had not been lucky enough when young to be appointed gamekeepers thus we cannot say that convicts represent an unfluctuating and certain proportion of criminals for that cannot be proved. No more can we tell, even approximately, the number of old offenders now at liberty, the number of living criminals who will be punished some day, the number of undiscovered criminals, and the number of those who, naturally disposed to crime, will never, for one reason or another, enter the criminal ranks. But if such numbers cannot be fixed even approximately, there is nothing to rest on to establish the proportion in which an anomaly will be found among convicts in comparison with criminals at liberty it may be objected that in a series of years we may arrive at sufficient certainty if the proportion remains the same although the prison population may have changed without taking into account that we should have to wait many years to apply this test it would prove only one thing namely that the proportion remained the same among convicts and there would still be no possible comparison between criminals inside prison and criminals outside it the arithmetical error committed by lombroso is thus a double one on the one hand he does not take into account all the criminals which he should include and on the other he counts the criminals at liberty among his honest men thus if convicts b c honest men h and criminals at liberty x he compares c with h and x instead of comparing c and x with h and he cannot help himself because x is an unknown quantity thus we can say that the figures furnished by the positive school of lombroso and on which it has built up such grave conclusions are taken wholly at hazard we can say that the percentages which should serve as proof are calculated on numbers drawn by chance and that the relation of such number to the total number of men is and must remain absolutely unknown we do not deny that the general researches of lombroso have awakened a crowd of ideas and established many important facts nor do we deny that lombroso has shown better than any of his predecessors that our prisons contain more than one moral wreck or individual of stunted mental development who would be far better in an hospital for incurables to lombroso belongs the immoral merit of having insisted on the care with which we should proceed in dealing with such individuals 
but his theory reaches no further that persons of feeble intelligence full of hereditary defects and morally shipwrecked fall into crime more readily than others has been known for ages and when we are advised to be more careful of them than we have been up to now when it is a question of their punishment we receive the advice with many thanks but that is no ground for the criminal expert suspending his work and yielding up his place to the medical man alone End of section 20